Welcome to Center Ice. It's Mac here with my buddy Matt. Happy summer, everybody. The Stanley Cup's been awarded, and it's off-season time, which is always fun. So let's get right into it. Matt, what's the first thing on your mind? Well, the first thing on my mind is how about them Vegas Golden Knights, eh? You know, going into the final, I think Vegas was the favorite. Most people I knew were favoriting Las Vegas, but I think with how convincingly they won. I think that's what took so many people by surprise. They just absolutely dominated. Now, I mean, the question is, is that more that Florida ran out of gas, or is it just how dominant Vegas was? But the the Gold Knights throughout the whole playoffs, when you look at it from a whole picture, they really deserved to win that cup. They really played a perfect playoffs. They had lots of depth. Their goaltending was good. Their forwards, well, we can get into the forwards, but they were just spectacular, you know. And I think a lot of GMs right now going into this offseason, Mac, are trying to uh, copy notes from the Vegas Golden Knights because they built a really good cup contender here. Matt, I would like to give myself a little pat on the back here because I have been doing segments with Devin ever since the Vegas Golden Knights moved, you know, became a part of that market in Utah. At the beginning of the playoffs this year, I said, listen, guys, I think your team has a chance to do something really special. And I saw them make quick work of the Winnipeg Jets. They faced some adversity in the series against the Oilers, but they prevailed. And then I was like, when they went up in that matchup against Dallas, I was like, this team has a serious shot at winning it all as long as they continue to play this way. And there was no wavering from that game style throughout. You can make all the excuses up you want. They were over the cap, blah, blah, blah. Well, what about Tampa Bay? What about all these other teams? Who cares, okay? They got it done. They were the best coach team. They had the most depth, the best defense. And the goaltending was a very pleasant surprise. But that's what you need in these runs, right? You need a little bit of luck. I'm so happy for that fan base and especially the Utah market that I lived in at one point. Well, and look, the the LTIR... It's an excuse, and it's not even a good one because when you look at the roster that they iced the entire playoffs, it was actually cap compliant the entire way through. You're right, they did get a little bit lucky. You know, the fact that Mark Stone was ready to go, there were questions on whether he would be throughout the entire season. He happened to be ready to go for game one of the playoffs, and he was a big impact player. When they were announcing the Conn Smythe, I told you we were watching together. I said, I don't think he's going to get Conn Smythe, but he could very well be a dark horse. And how about Jonathan Marcheseau? Hey, you and I were bringing this up multiple times throughout this playoff run as well about the amount of, I'd say, legacy fan bases, especially here in Canada, that were complaining about the Golden Knights and how they were gifted a great team and Gary loves them and all that. But when you break it down and you look at the moves that were made, they took advantage of stupid GMs. They took advantage of players that people undervalued and they made smart trades. That's how you make a Stanley Cup winner in this league. Well, you're right about that. And the other thing that people have to remember is if you look at their first roster in that expansion season, it looks nothing like the current roster. There's some of the originals that are still there, but they have gone out, they have traded for guys, they have drafted guys, and they have built this Stanley Cup winning team, not just off of luck and handouts like people claim. (laughs) So (laughs) I'm really happy for Bruce Cassidy. I think he's a terrific coach. Proud Ottawa guy, by the way. Absolutely. Jack Eichel, I thought it was really cool to see him relish and embrace playing in the playoffs for the first time. He was unbelievable too. Just really well-deserved for the Vegas Golden Knights. Yeah, very well-deserved. And you better believe that the party is going to be going on in Vegas for the next few months. 
did you watch the Stanley Cup parade on Saturday night? Because it was amazing. I heard about it. I did not watch it. I was actually busy with friends that night, but apparently it was pretty gnarly. <laughs> oh, oh, yes. It, it was a Stanley Cup parade that only Vegas can pull off. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> and, I don't doubt it. And before we move on, I, I do have to say that it has been confirmed that Phil the Thrill has eaten hot dogs out of the Stanley Cup again. Just figured everyone ought to know that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, how about the Florida Panthers? I mean, I feel like we need to talk about them just a little bit. Tremendous run. What do you think went wrong here? How can they address these issues going into next year? Well, my first thoughts on the Florida Panthers, and I think this is pretty uniform, is just they ran out of gas. Hearing some of the injuries that those guys played through, and I know it's not unique to the Panthers, but considering that Matthew Kachuk, he literally needed help getting out of bed the morning of game what was it, game four? And he still was able to play. Just absolutely remarkable. You know, at the end of the day, I think that's what it ultimately came down to. They were out of gas, and they were being propelled by Matt Kachuk and Sergei Bobrovsky. Not saying that there were other guys on Florida that weren't deserving, because they had a lot of good guys. They were playing very well, but the style they were playing and the lack of depth, I think it just caught up to them in the end. And I don't think Florida fans should be hanging their heads too low here, because I think they absolutely have the potential to get right back here if they can make some smart moves. When you look at their cap situation, you look at their contracts, they've got a lot of cap to play with. I think they could absolutely continue to build around Sergei Bobrovsky and Matt Kachuk here and come back with a more well-rounded team. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think people that say they got through and they were lucky are are really being that serious because sure, there was a little bit of luck. Like we said, you need luck in every playoff run in any sport. You look at the teams they took down and you look at how they got all the way to the Stanley Cup. That's not luck. That's hard work. That's playing physical. That's lots of hits and block shots, and Sergei Bobrovsky performing like the best goalie in the NHL. These are the things you need. Those are kind of the ingredients for a playoff run. Was it a little bit flawed? Sure. Could they be better next year? Yes. I don't think the defense is quite good enough. I don't think it's big enough to handle some of those bigger players. And I think Mark Stahl, you guys know our thoughts on Mark Stahl, you know, he struggled in these playoffs, and rightfully so. You know, his partner carried him just enough that he was just okay, but I don't think you want to ice Mark Stahl in your starting lineup in the Stanley Cup playoffs, do you? No, you don't, and that's one of those players that if you could go back in time and switch him out for someone with a bigger impact, you absolutely would. Add a little bit more forward depth. I thought their forward depth was really exposed as this run went on. Anthony Duclair didn't do much. Carter Verhage was doing a lot to start this playoff run and kind of faded out as the playoff run went on. Absolutely. But I also think going into this offseason, what Florida proves more than anything is that if you can get into the Stanley Cup playoffs, Mac, you have a chance. Remember, Florida got in on the very last day. Their odds to get into the Stanley Cup playoff going into that last week of the regular season, I forget exactly what they were, but they weren't particularly high because Pittsburgh held all the leverage at that point. And then, of course, they lost to Chicago and Columbus and found themselves out of a playoff spot. And that gave Florida an opportunity. All right. Well, now you bring up that idea that the Panthers are bringing some intrigue around this league to teams that are thinking, okay, well, how can we pull off what they did in our conference? So let's get into that. 
if you're a team like the Vancouver Canucks, apparently the Canucks feel like they've got Demko, they've got star power. They feel like maybe they could go on a run like this. Do you see that? Why or why not? I will say that under Rick Tockett, they did play a lot better to end the season. I'm not 100% sure. I mean, I guess it depends how well Demko plays, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. And and I think that's what it comes down to. Look, the Vancouver Canucks, we know they can score goals. We know that Demko has a lot of potential. We've seen him play brilliantly in the past. But to me, the difference between the Florida Panthers and the Vancouver Canucks is consistency. The Vancouver Canucks are not a consistent team. They haven't been for quite some time. I don't see that changing anytime soon. And also, with no disrespect to Thatcher Demko, who is a good goalie in his own right, he is no Sergei Bobrovsky. You know, there's a reason why when Bobrovsky hit the free agent market a few years ago, he got as much money as he did because he's a proven goaltender who up until that point was very consistent and almost single-handedly carried the Blue Jackets to the playoffs in multiple seasons. He's one of those select few goalies in the league that I think can do that. For a lot of other teams, I don't think you can rely on a guy like a Thatcher Demko to carry you all the way to the Stanley Cup. That's not saying he's not a good goalie, but if you're asking a guy like Demko to do what Bobrovsky just did for the Panthers, I think you're asking an awful lot of him. And, and let's not forget that Vancouver is also in a different conference. Now, the Eastern Conference, to be fair, is widely seen as the tougher conference right now. Look at the Pacific Division. It's no cakewalk either. You've got the LA Kings who are getting better. The Seattle Kraken, who I think are only going to continue to get better. They're going to be a tough out for years to come. The Vegas Golden Knights, who coming off the Stanley Cup. The McDryasidles, who as long as they have those two guys, are always going to be a tough out. I don't see that type of run as sustainable. If you're going into the playoffs, Mac, and relying completely on your goaltending and a little bit of star power to get you to the Stanley Cup final, I don't think that's a recipe for success. Yeah, I agree with that. Talked about how valuable a guy like Luke Shen is. Maybe teams will actually see the value in those guys this year because there's examples to look at from Vegas. But what about like Seattle? What about Florida? What about all these other teams that had success in these playoffs? It's not just Vegas that has kind of set the blueprint, in my opinion. So I think if they can shore up their defense a little bit, I think the buyout of OEL will help in that regard because OEL is not near the same player he once was like let's face it and he's basically an offense only player so if you can get creative and figure out a way to bring in some bigger defensemen and really solidify that group of defenders sure I mean there's definitely a chance remember just 365 days ago the Florida Panthers were the president's trophy champions so it's not like this team came out of absolutely nowhere, mm -hmm. right? There mm -hmm. were expectations on this team going into the season. Up until start of March, they were falling short of those expectations. And credit where it's credit's due, they went on a great run through March and April, found their way in the playoffs, and took the ball and ran with it. But to act like this team was in a similar situation to the Vancouver Canucks going into the playoffs this year is laughable. Well, for sure. And the other thing that teams should take away from these runs this year by all these teams that we've talked about is that not only do you need goaltending, but you need goaltending depth. Most teams do not win the Stanley Cup with just two goalies. Injuries happen. You need three, four, maybe five options that you can turn to. And if you do your research and you look, you can do that. It's not that hard. So I think 
one ingredient the GMs are missing here is that goaltending depth. And right now, Vancouver's got Silovs, who played really well at the World Championships. I like him a lot. But then you go after him on the depth chart. What do you have? Not much of anything. So if they can solidify that goaltending position a little bit more, I will feel a lot better about the Canucks. But right now, again, it, one injury and you're putting a lot of pressure on Silovs to come in and play really well. That's not really fair. Absolutely. I think you bring up an excellent point there. Look at the Golden Knights. I think they're a prime example of why goaltending depth is so key. Brassois was playing great. He gets injured. Hill comes in and carries his team to the Stanley Cup. But let's say uh, Hill has a rough night or he needs rest or he gets hurt. You still have Jonathan Quick, mm-hmm. who is still a capable goaltender who can come in. All right. Well, let's move on to some offseason chatter. But before we do that, actually... I want to bring up a point that I feel like we have talked about at nausea, maybe not quite enough. There is an example I heard from Major League Baseball about payrolls in baseball right now and their success in the current MLB season. And Gary Bettman knows that he has franchises worth billions upon billions of dollars, but yet he insists on having a salary cap. So here's why we're going to explain to you why the NHL doesn't need a salary cap. Not only because you've got a ton of teams worth a lot of money. Sure, there are some teams that are struggling, but really not many. Most teams are doing pretty well for themselves and could afford to spend more. And again, there's no guarantee that if you give the Rangers and the Leafs and all these wealthy teams more money, that's going to lead to success. So let's talk about the Major League Baseball example, Matt. You, you look at Major League Baseball, and this isn't just a one-year trend, Mac. We've looked at it over the last decade plus. As of right now, of the recording of this episode, Mac, the top seven payrolls in Major League Baseball are not overly successful. You look at, like, the Dodgers. They're third in the NL wildcard. The Angels are second in the wildcard. The Yankees are third in the wildcard. And remember, the Dodgers and the Yankees in particular are two teams that love to spend money on free agents right? They will go out pretty much any given offseason and spend more than the GDP of some small island nations in the Caribbean. Mm-hmm. So it, it just, I think that's proof alone that throwing money at free agents does not guarantee success. And you and I are both old enough to also remember when the NHL didn't have a salary cap, you had teams like the Rangers, the Leafs, they would go out and spend oodles of money mm-hmm. on these guys and look at how much success it brought them. You could say, yes, that's a small sample size, and that's true. But then if you look further down the list, the Mets are out, the Padres are out, the Blue Jays are out. Oh, the Blue Jays. The Phillies are (laughs) out. The Cardinals have the eighth highest payroll and currently have a 30-43 and record. Keep going down the list. The Giants are out, the White Sox are out, the Cubs are out, and the Red Sox are out. So there are a bunch of teams that are in the playoffs right now that do not have super high payrolls. And that's because they're well-ran teams that draft and develop, and they're able to identify talent and bring in talent many different ways, and they have depth. So that exists in every single sport. I wonder if it will happen again. I'm honestly not sure, but it's just not necessary. I would love to see the salary cap completely eliminated. Oh, absolutely. Well, think about how exciting it would be for us fans going into an offseason where we know that players could get paid upwards as much as they want. Like, think about a guy like Austin Matthews is due to be Wait, hold on. Hold on. Let's play a game. All right. Connor McDavid and Austin Matthews are on the open market and there's no salary cap. All what right. is their salary per year? <laughs> per year, I could see upwards of 20 million. 20 30 You're probably million. not you're probably not wrong. They're arguably worth that amount, right? Like Connor McDavid 
is far and away at the moment the best hockey player on the planet. He is absolutely incredible. Look at what he's doing with just him and Drysdale and Edmonton, right? He is so good and yet his salary is being stifled. And I know the owners like that. But if you're an owner of another team, imagine in a scenario where you can't just continue to lowball your players, right? And also, I, I think it really would just create a whole lot more competition for player salaries, and it wouldn't punish teams for drafting well. Mm. I, I think a great example of this is the Maple Leafs. I know you and I love to harp on the Maple Leafs, and to be fair, they make it pretty easy. Mm. But at the same time, you look at the Leafs and how well that they've drafted, at least in the first couple of rounds over the last few years, the Leafs shouldn't be punished for being able to identify talent like Matthew and Marner's, right? They shouldn't be punished for that. And right now, so many teams are getting punished for drafting well, and I don't think it's fair. And as you mentioned, the the franchise evaluations keep going up and up. It's not like there's a lack of money. There's loads of money. Look at all the advertisements around. They're making money. Mm-hmm. And just because they remove a salary cap doesn't mean that players' salaries are about to explode. You'll certainly see guys that'll have their valuations go up. I still think like your third line grinder, they'll see a pay bump, but I don't think they're going to see a huge pay bump. And it's same with Major League Baseball. You know, your top players still get paid a lot of money. But if you're like a mid-tier or a lower-tier guy, all the salaries are about the same. So it's not like removing the salary cap in Major League Baseball. And I know they've never had one, but my point still remains that these mid-tier to lower-tier guys, they're all getting about paid about the same amount of money. It's really only the best of the best, like a Shohei Otani, a Mike Trout, and Aaron Judge that are making these ridiculous mm-hmm. contracts. I think they earn it. It hasn't reduced the competitiveness of baseball. I think baseball has been the sport with the most parity over the last few years. We've seen different World Series champions. I know the Astros have made it to the World Series a few times, but it doesn't mean they've won it all the time. Major League Baseball and the amount of parity they have and the amount of excitement we get with free agent is reason enough alone for the NHL to give it a try. All right, well, let's pivot to some more NHL news. How about the Columbus Blue Jackets making a number of moves, bringing in Ivan Provorov and Damon Severson on the blue line, and also bringing in Mike Babcock to coach the team. Matt, your immediate thoughts on those moves? Well, I'm not against the trades, but my thoughts on Babcock. I've never been a big fan of Babcock. He's had a, a, a checkered history, and you and I have brought him up before, I remember when he got fired from the Leafs, you and I both rightly called it, called him out and said that he's being carried by great talent. And look, I do believe in second chances, Mac. I absolutely do. And I'd like to think that his time away from the NHL has given him an opportunity to take a step back, reevaluate how he is as a coach, and hopefully come into Columbus and jumpstart this franchise. But, you know... I I still need to see how he is behind the bench. And until he proves me otherwise, my thoughts remain pretty consistent on Mike Babcock. On the trade front, I like it. You know, the the Blue Jackets need to make some bold moves. And I I think that the Blue Jackets, they're trying to kickstart the rebuild here. Yeah, I don't don't mind these moves. I'm sort of the same with you on Babcock. Severson I really like, although... That's a lot of money for a defenseman who is known in the hockey circle as a two-way defender, but he's really a pass-first offensive defenseman that has a good shot from the point. But he's still very good, so I don't have a big issue with that. The only question I have is, 
are these moves enough? And is this team good enough defensively to win? And to me, the answer is still no, but are they better than they were last year? Without a doubt, they're better. And I think last year was just about as bad as it can get in Columbus. I think the players kind of checked out early. They had a ton of injuries to deal with, so that was challenging as well. I think there's probably more moves on the horizon for this team, but interesting. And I, and I always welcome teams taking a chance on on players and, and trying to shake it up a little bit. So sure, I mean, let's see how it works out. Absolutely. All right, let's talk the Philadelphia Flyers real quick before we get into some other stuff. So the Flyers have brought in Danny Briere to be their new GM, Keith Jones to be the president of Hockey Ops. So of course you got to get to the Provorov deal. Apparently there's more deals in the works. Matt, do you think a Carter Hart trade is next. Do you think the Flyers should consider it? Is it, does it make sense for them to do something like that right now? I do. Now that doesn't mean I think it's going to be imminent. I think that if you're Briere, you're going to try and hold on to a guy like Carter Hart because you know the potential is there. You know he has the potential to be a really good goaltender, but at the same time, you know, goalies are fluky. They're like the uh, catchers of, of the NHL world. They're super hard to read. They take a long time to develop. They can go through long strings like this where they struggle, and sometimes guys need a you know a change of scenery. And you also get guys. I think Gustafson is a great example of it, where he never really hit his groove in Ottawa. And as soon as he goes to a different place, he hits his stride and he plays really well. And that could happen with a guy like Carter Hart, but at the same time, it could he could also be an absolute dud. It's very very hard to read goaltenders, but. I'd say unless you're getting a really good package for a guy like Carter Hurt, at least for now, I would hold on to him. But I do think you have to keep in the back of your mind, right? How long is this guy going to be a top-tier asset, right? Because the longer he takes to develop and hit his stride, the less and less valuable he's going to be as an asset for the Flyers. And an ideal situation for the Flyers, of course, is we're able to turn this around. He's our goalie of the future, and he's just been in a couple bad years because he's had to play in front of some, quite frankly, awful Philadelphia Flyer teams. And that's very possible. But I definitely wouldn't shut down a, a trade for Carter Hart right away. I certainly would be listening on him. It doesn't mean I'm actively shopping him around in this situation. But if some GM is calling up and offering me a buttload of picks and prospects for Carter Hart, I don't think I'd say no. What about you? Yeah, I'm not I'm not sure about this guy. There's a couple guys I'm not sure of that are that are goalies that have been drafted fairly recently. I mean, not, you know, super recent, but and that's Carter Hart and Spencer Knight. You know, remember when these guys were drafted, there was a ton of hype around them. People were saying they were going to be franchise goalies. And sometimes you just don't know. And then what happens is years later you have guys like Igor Shosturkin and Ilya Sorokin, who become those franchise goalies, which were really unexpected. And then you have Carter Hart kind of being about average. He's had some better years, but really he's been about an average goalie NHL-wise. And then Spencer Knight, who has shown flashes of brilliance, but is not ready for the NHL at a consistent level, does not post good numbers. And you have to wonder, is this guy going to be a late bloomer? What does this guy need to do to rejuvenate his career? Because... At one point, they thought they had two franchise goalies in Bobrovsky and then the future one in Knight. Now I'm not sure anymore. 
Hopefully they don't give up on him. But again, like you said, goalies are so difficult to read and you've got to be able to make tough decisions. And I think if they could go back, both of these teams really, they would probably give these guys more development time, especially in the AHL. Absolutely. All right. Well, speaking of the Leafs and Kyle Dubas, Kyle Dubas is now a member of the Pittsburgh Penguins front office. I don't know. I wouldn't say they've made a mistake, but I don't think it's the best guy they could have hired. Look, I think you know what you're getting with Kyle Dubas at this point. I I think he can draft well in the first couple of rounds. I think he can build a decent team, but when it comes to taking a team to the next step, at this point it's been very well proven, not only with the Leafs, but with the Stu Greyhounds, that he just can't take this team his teams that he is managing to the next step. And I think that we'll see that here. But I also think it's important to remember that when he was going into Toronto, right, they were in the thick of a a rebuild. They had already torn down everything, and they were starting to build things up. We're now going into Pittsburgh. I think this is a much more difficult situation than what he was presented with the Leafs because you have to tear down this franchise in a way that still keeps guys like Crosby and Gensel around, right? Like, Pittsburgh fans, I don't think are going to accept a complete teardown. Crosby's going to be a Pittsburgh Penguin for life. The Penguins don't have a very good cap situation. I just, I don't see, at least short term, I don't see any success coming for the Penguins or Kyle Dubas. But I, I think long term, he could build something in Pittsburgh. But if you're a Pittsburgh fan expecting Kyle Dubas to be the wonder kid who's going to solve all your problems, it ain't happening. Yeah, that, that's a great point. And I think what you said makes a lot of sense to me because to me, this is one of the hardest teams to take over right now in the entire league, right? Like you said, they're on their last legs as a contending team. They do have guys still there. They've got some pieces. Can you figure out a way to creatively maneuver around? Can you draft and develop well? One of Kyle Dubas's biggest issues in Toronto was keeping his draft picks. Can he do that in Pittsburgh? I mean, we'll see. And the other issue that I bring up is that he seems very unwilling to draft bigger defensemen. He, he always wants, and this is not just defensemen, actually, it's forwards too. Kyle Dubas loves smaller players. There's nothing wrong with small players, okay? But this is this is a bit much. Nick Robertson, Sandine, Liljegren, the list nies. The list goes on and on. And these are good players, but where are the big players that you need to draft for that ideal mix? And how has he not been able to properly build out that defense group over a period of, what, six years in Toronto? I mean, we'll see what happens, and maybe he'll actually start the teardown, but I think this is a really tough situation to come into, and I think unless he changes the way he manages, I don't see any success for this Pittsburgh team right now. No, me neither. I think you and I are in agreement on this one. Where Kyle Dubas, you know, I think he's the type of GM that he's certainly not bottom tier GM, but I I don't think he's this top tier GM. You know, he's he's as the kids say, he's mid, right? He's mid. He's just kind of <laughs> absolutely. Mid. He's mid. <laughs> He's absolutely mid. I I remember when Kyle Dubas got hired. I'm sure you do as well. Everyone was hailing him as this next GM, right? He was going to be the next Stevie Y. He was going to deliver Toronto with Stanley Cup. And how well did that work out? Not well. <laughs> so uh, I think unless he's willing to make some drastic changes, as you said, in his style as a GM, and be willing to make some bold moves, 
I think Pittsburgh's going to keep spinning tires for at least the next season or two. All right. Well, we have to talk about the Leafs really quick. And I have to get your thoughts on the Leafs basically saying that they're going to make some small changes under tree living, but basically bring the same team back. Does that make any sense to you? No. <laughs> no, it does. <laughs> well, okay. It, it does because it's the Leafs, right? Like, my realistic mind says, yes, this makes sense because this is exactly what Shanahan and Leafs ownership would say, right? We're bringing back the same core, right? We won a playoff series, guys. We beat a declining Tampa Bay Empire. Go us. <laughs> but, you know, from a logical perspective, look, the Leafs need to make some changes. They've got some guys that teams want. I know you and I have been screaming it to the skies for ages and i think it still holds very true to this day mac one of or both of taveras and nylander need to go because those guys are eating up a lot of cap space that could be used to fill out your depth on your forwards your defense and most importantly your goaltending and really for what taveras and nylander are providing you i don't think their cap hit is worth it but you know as well as i do that some gullible GM, maybe a, a certain Pittsburgh GM, <laughs> will overpay for a Nylander or a Tavares. And I, I know this is an unpopular move among Leaf fans. I know Tavares, he's from Toronto, he wore the Leafs PJs, he's your captain. But at a certain point, y- you have to look at how much offense he's providing you. And I'm not saying he's complete dead weight because he isn't. But how much longer is he going to be a valuable asset for the Leafs? And if you traded him right now, with how weak this free agent class is going to be, I guarantee you teams would overpay for him. The Leafs could get some good assets in return, and they would free up a ton of cap space to go and fix the glaring issues that they've had for the last three or four seasons. Well, well, here's the thing. We talked about Kyle Dubas drafting those smaller defensemen and really building a much smaller decor. If you look at the Leafs in the playoff run they made this year, their only big defenseman was really Luke Shen. Like everybody else was pretty small and they got run over, right? Like you can't expect a defense led by Morgan Riley and smaller guys like TJ Brody to bring success in the playoffs if you don't have those complementary players to be physical to hit and to play with them. And I just, I don't know how the Leafs think that's going to work. I mean, sure. Could they bring back Luke Shen? And would I agree with that decision? Yes. I think that would be a good decision. I think he's kind of the perfect D partner for Morgan Riley. But if I look at this team as a whole right now, I want Joe Wall to be the starter next year with a capable backup. I want Ilya Samsonov nowhere near the net for the Leafs next year because I can't stand watching that guy play goalie. And you want more goaltending depth. You want more depth up front. And you want to be able to say, which guys are we getting the most out of here? And which guys are dead weight? But like, I don't know. I just, I think we have to come to grips with the fact that the Leafs are broken. And until things change, they're going to be broken. Yeah, I I, th- I absolutely agree with you. You know, the Leafs and the Blue Jays, I know we've been talking baseball more than we usually do on this episode, but it, I think it's so true. The Blue Jays and the Leafs are so alike in so many ways. It's, it's almost unbelievable, you know. They've got 
a, a core of good players that are very good, but management is stuck up in their ways. They're happy selling their overpriced tickets. And as long as the team at least fields a competitive team, fans will eat it right up. The uh, media won't criticize them. And everyone is happy except for the fans that actually care. Well, now here's what could change under Tree Living and also Shane Doan, who he brought in. You wonder if this team drafts a little bit differently, a little bit better. You wonder if he's learned some lessons from his time in Calgary. And one of the things that he did very well in his time in Calgary is build a pretty good defense group, right? So if he can apply those things to the Leafs over a period of time while keeping their top assets, you know, maybe things could change. But I wonder if they said to themselves, how much can we really change going into next year? And maybe they just decided, well, I don't know how much this team can realistically change until maybe the trade deadline with who we have to resign and who we're letting go and things like that. So like I said, I'm willing to give him a chance and I'm hoping that he'll bring something different. But, you know, Leaf fans understand this. They they know they know the deal. So we'll see what happens. But again, there's no reason to think that the Leafs aren't a good team. They are a good team. They're just not quite good enough to win it all. Absolutely. I think that sums it up perfectly. All right, let's move up the 401 quickly and let's touch on the Sens because last time we were talking, the ownership Sega was dragging on. We didn't know who was going to be the owner, and we finally have an answer, and that is Michael Anlauer. That's who I predicted when we did our last episode, and it is held true here because the NHL, as I said at the time, they like guys that are in their group of owners already, and Lauer was, and I I think that more than anything else is what gave him the edge. But looking at Michael Anlauer, talking with people who are in the know the last few days, Mac, it seems like Michael Anlauer is a really good pick for owner. He may not have the star power of The Weeknd or Snoop or Ryan Reynolds, but what he does have is a passion for hockey. This is a guy that loves hockey. He eats, sleeps, and breathes hockey. He still plays beer league as a goaltender. He really wants his teams to win. You look at the Hamilton Bulldogs. He bought them from Belleville a few years ago, moved them to Hamilton, and they're still one of the top-tier OHL organizations. When prospects make the OHL, they're drawn towards teams like Hamilton and London because they have such a good organization with smart hockey minds who seek them out, who draft them, who offer them tryouts. And that's what Ann Lauer has done in Hamilton. He's a really analytically minded guy. It doesn't sound like he meddles too much, which is great because we all knew the previous guy did. And I think that when it comes to the Senators, A, he has he definitely has the money to back back it up and spend to the cap every year. But he also really believes in analytics. And that's the thing that excites me the most because it's no secret among Sens fans here in Ottawa, Mac, that the Sens pro scouting and analytics department is one of the most understaffed and bare bones departments in the NHL. So that's only going to get better. And I think that's going to make a huge difference because when you look at the Sens as an organization, and we've done this before, they're 
amateur scouting has been great. They've drafted really well. They've found some talents later in the rounds. They've picked up on these guys from amateur and brought them in. Guys like Tim Stutzler, Brady Kachuk, Batherson, for example. But when it comes to pro scouting, that's always been lacking for the Senators. And I think that having a good pro scouting department could make all the difference here. Now, in terms of what is going to change with the Sens, that's the big question, right? Will Pierre Dorian stick around? Will DJ Smith stick around? These are all questions that will need to be answered in due time. And it may not be answered right away because what Bruce Garriott reported last week is that Ann Lauer may not get the keys to the team until late August, early September, so a few months from now. And in by the time that happens, it'll be gearing up for training camp. So there's a very good possibility here that the Sens are going to start the season status quo, pretty much, in terms of general manager and in terms of coaching. Now, from what I heard, Pierre Dorian and Michael Anlauer met this afternoon, and it sounded like things went pretty well, Mac. So I wouldn't be surprised if we see a situation where Steos gets brought in and he become and Dorian becomes president of hockey ops or vice versa. I still think DJ Smith in particular, his future is very much in doubt, especially when you've got a guy like Patrick Wall, who I think is exactly what the senators need waiting in the wake. Yeah, that's great. I think it's it's a great time to be a Sens fan, and you've got to be really optimistic that this guy is going to be a terrific owner. You know, the proof is in the pudding, like you say. So we'll see what happens with the Sens, but I agree. I think it's more of the same going into next year. You'll start to see changes as he gets more and more control and brings in more of his people, which will undoubtedly happen. But let's finish off with some quick thoughts on the NHL draft. What are your thoughts going into this besides obviously Connor Bedard and, and some other guys? Is there anybody you, you're keeping a close eye on here for draft day? Well, looking at draft day, I think the number one guy I'm most interested in, and it's mostly because it's an interesting situation, is Mitchkov, right? What's going to happen with Mitchkov? Of course, he's been really good in Russia, but that's the problem. He's in Russia, and I do seriously wonder where is he going to go because look the talent is there the talent is absolutely there the question is is with the potential risks associated with him being in Russia at the moment how much does that tank his uh, draft stock at the moment remember looking at last year he was projected top three and he's still projected top five on Sportsnet I'm just checking right now he's put at number four but I think this is a situation where we could absolutely see him I don't think he'll fall out of the top 10, but I, I do think he could fall a lot further than some people think just because of the situation that's involved there. Now, in terms of a player, I think he's a very good player. I think whoever gets a chance to pick him up, you know, yeah, there's a risk there, but but there's risks with every player. And I know there's some more than usual, but he's produced at every level in Russia. He's been very good, and he he will be a great goal scorer if he can get over to the NHL. Yeah, I agree with that. I think if you're identifying talent first and you're looking at, okay, who's the most talented player in this draft besides Bedard? It's this guy, right? Like plain and simple risks aside, all these other things aside, you know, he's a young guy. He, he's maybe a little bit cocky. He maybe wants to play for the franchise that drafted the greatest Russian player ever. Understandable. Right. But again, he's a kid, right? He's young. He, he does some silly things, but 
If he somehow slips to like six where Arizona can take him, what a steal that would be. Oh my goodness. Any other guys you like on draft day? Well, I also like Fantilli. I know he's projected number two right now. He has been for quite some time. But I've been a fan of Fantilli for quite a while. I loved watching him in the NCAA Frozen Four this year. He was really, really good. I certainly wouldn't be upset about getting Fantilli. I don't know about you. Yeah, no, he's a really good player. And Leo Carlson's a really good player as well. There's a lot of interesting players in this draft. There's the Americans. There's a few guys that are sort of later on in the first round that I've got my eye on. One is David Reinbacher. I think whoever picks him up is getting a really good defenseman. And being able to watch the CHL playoffs this year, I watched a lot of these guys play during the regular season and playoffs, and these are the guys that I really like. I like Zach Benson. I think he could be a really good value for whoever gets him. Kobe Barlow is kind of a throwback in that he's a smaller forward, but he plays very physical teams will really like what he brings he's very competitive he's got all the right ingredients he's a leader all that good stuff and he can score goals Andrew Crystal Riley Height two really good creative offensive players and then Edward Saleh to finish off that list and obviously there's more but these are just the guys that have sort of stood out for me so if you guys hear those guys names called on draft day for your team I would say you should be pretty excited yeah I think that's very good analysis there and this is a very deep draft I know everyone's focusing on the top guys, as they should, but I think there's going to be a lot of hidden gems amongst all these players this year because this is a really good draft year. Awesome. All right. I think we're finished up for today, are we? I think so. You know, it's an exciting time to be a hockey fan. Even though the Stanley Cup playoffs just ended, we've got a busy offseason around the corner, and we're going to see a lot of moves, a lot of wheeling dealing. It's going to be a fun offseason. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening to Center Ice. Once again, happy summer. You know where to find us. Just look for the white, blue, and red logo. Take care. Stay safe. Hockey will be back before you know it. <laughs>